Boom. Hey, we're recording. Hey. How are you, man? It's like the first time I've seen you in years. Oh. <laughs> no, I saw you right before uh COVID because you came into you came into Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, we were in very much in co- in communication. And I was like, yeah, this is a perfect time for me to change jobs. Yeah. And then <laughs> it wasn't a good time. I was on my way to go see Uncut Gems, actually, and that's when we reconnected. <laughs> every every like podcast and every like person I engage with on Twitter, I think that everyone sort of resoundingly uh or there's like a consensus that Uncut Gems was everybody's last like pre-COVID theater experience. <laughs> that like that was the last movie that every single person saw. Uh, well, well I went to the ballet because I'm a season ticket holder, but otherwise, oh, yeah. yeah, you are. <laughs> you I, guys, I have to, I do have to say something as a point of order for the matter of re- the record. I need to say two things. Say so. One is that I don't have anything smart or thoughtful to say about this movie (laughs) and it's not because there isn't anything smart or thoughtful to say about this movie i'm just like i'm not in that headspace today i'm like i like had to talk to another person i went to an appointment today and i was just like "Uh uh-huh oh yeah that's cool um so that and then the other thing i have to say is uh fuck joe biden that's what I have to say. <laughs> oh, I was I was literally just gonna go into that. I Ryan, hate that guy. Did you did you watch any of the like the clips from his town hall with Anderson Cooper last night? Oh no, no, I I hit my ceiling weeks ago. Uh, please <laughs> please indulge me. You're okay. smart. You're a smart yeah. guy. No, there's like get out of there, get out. No, there's there's almost nothing uh, to to say about it. One of my favorite quotes though was was somebody asking about. Um, about racial justice. And mind you, this is Joe Biden, architect of like the crime bill and, and, you know, a generation's worth of, of bad legislation that just like specifically targets people of color and, and specifically impoverished people of color and puts them in prison for sentences that are, you know, hundred times longer than anyone who uh, commits the same crime as a white person. And here I am to tell the tale. That's right. Hey, likewise, dude. That's right. Like, <laughs> we we have been afforded uh, a great many things by simply the color of our skin. But Amen. someone was asking him about about racial justice, and I mean, the man is clearly like sundowning, like this, like septuagenarian, making like almost no sense, like not grammatically, like making any sort of coherent thoughts. But the one thing he managed to get out is, I'm, I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but uh great 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 intro great way to start great way to start i'm not racist but (laughs) that's basically what he says he's like i you know i'm gonna get in trouble for saying this but did you ever think that three or four out of every five or six advertisements you see on tv would have an interracial couple in it if you want to know where the american public is look at the money being spent in advertising did you ever five years ago think every second or third ad out of five or six you'd turn on would be biracial couples? No, no, I'm not, I'm not being facetious. The reason I'm so hopeful is this new generation. They're not like us. And it's like... It, <laughs> but it's also just like such a perfect crystallization in like one senile sentence of neoliberalism, <laughs> where it's like, agree. 
We're just no. like obfuscating all of the structural problems of our society by like woke washing everything. Right. And because they're interracial couples, uh, we are fine. Everything's fine. It's okay. I remember when Kamala got the, the VP nomination, my mother called me because it literally short circuited her brain. And she's a very intelligent, caring person who like is, you know, works in a school and is invested in <laughs> racial justice and does like, you know, um, you know, anti-discrimination trainings and things like that. And it you I could see in real time the way that it just sort of like crossed people's circuits in this very bizarre way. Like, but wait, but black woman, yeah. Totally. Right. <laughs> What was it he said? I mean, and we all know it's true. What was it? Um, black kids are as good as po poor kids. What was that quote? Oh, the Biden yeah. gaffe. He said, he said poor, poor, poor kids are, are just as smart and just as capable as white kids. <laughs> oh, um, my God. Yeah, the greenwashing, the woke yeah. washing. It's, it's profound. Yeah. No, it's, it's incredible. I have so it, little it runs to say. Deep. The town hall was a disaster. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, tell me absolute... more because I missed it. I mean, there's not much more. Like, there's there was like a weird little diatribe he went on about like the the fact checker system at Washington Post that didn't really make any sense. But it was it was sort of like you've seen them Pinocchios and uh, lots of people saying this thing isn't true. Well, there is them saying it's uh, another thing to do. He's like a Bill Cosby it, impression in a blender. It, it, it is exactly <laughs> that. That is exactly, is. it's so, and, and like. It's bad. And the thing that's even like more hair pulling than that is just like seeing all the people who I know, you know, casually or, or you know, old friends on like Facebook. It's always Facebook because Facebook is just like, you get radicalized on Twitter and you can be a little bit more, uh, progressive on Instagram maybe but like on Facebook it is nothing but like centrist or even like right-wing bullshit and I had like friends you know like people like our age who were like it is so rewarding seeing somebody who just cares again who just who just like has it's it's the civility politics thing it's but, the same thing we all knew was gonna happen but I like, also like part of me thinks that some people are like clinging to that delusion because they have to like i i do feel like some people are just trying really hard to convince themselves and other people that joe biden is like sentient and and i don't i think there are actually more people who like secretly believe that he's a bag of marbles but don't want to say it because that is like too upsetting to their worldview. And so they have to just be like, oh, he's not Trump. So like I get to talk about how he's not like a oh. dumpster fire. <laughs> how he's not Trump, which is a pretty, pretty high bar, obviously. I mean, and you know, yeah, I, I've experienced the same thing with people in my own personal life who are like, well, you know, I mean, he's right. I mean, poor kids are as smart as white kids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. Okay. And inherent in that is that there are no poor white kids, right? Like that's, <laughs> yeah. That just doesn't I, I, exist. Maybe his dementia is um, contagious. It clearly has to be. It's like it's so bad. I, I mean, it's exactly what you're saying, Carly. It's like everyone is just like desperately grasping at opportunities to feel like this thing is what they want it to be instead of what it actually is. It's like it, when you write a thousand words about 
Jill Biden wearing a scrunchie oh, to the mall. Oh my god! My <laughs> god! And frankly, Slay Queen. I fucking love scrunchies. Okay. Yes. I grew up in the age of the scrunchie. Had all scrunchies all up and down my arms, all on my hair. Like, am a scrunchie fan. But did you feel seen when Jill Biden did? I like that headline enraged me in a way that like very much took me by surprise. Like I was not prepared for how upset I was by it. <laughs> and also at the end of the day, I think like fine glamor is going to write shit about Jill Biden's scrunchies. I don't expect them to come in hot with like policy takes, but the problem with it for me is that people who see themselves as finger quotes, politically engaged will use interacting with that article as a proxy for political engagement, right? As a proxy for like having some sort of discourse about politics. They will think that like if they consume that scrunchy article and talk about how great Jill Biden is for being a regular ass gal, that that will mean that they're like engaging in the conversations about like what's happening no. And like, that's as far as so many people go. They read the scrunchy article and then they're like, cool. Okay. I, See you tomorrow. Yeah. I did politics. I did that. politics yeah. today. I mean, yeah. Well, I was at brunch this morning and I was thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> when I was back to brunch. Yeah, but I you mean, were yeah, working brunch this morning. I actually yeah. was working brunch this morning <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I'm a precariat. But, you know, <laughs> that's the thing about internet discourse, right, is it doesn't actually, like, seek to engage in those, like, major platforms. It's all about confirmation bias. So you're always just on this, like, psycho search to find that thing that is just like, okay, yeah, sure, migrants and overflow cages instead of, you know, whatever. But the scrunchy, slay queen, mm-hmm. girl boss, girl bossing, doing it down. Totally, totally. <laughs> the lack of you know, accountability that at least a small percentage of liberals promised us when they were bullying us into voting for him, like, is like astounding to me. I'm like, you've got a lot to choose from. You don't even have to like, really give up your centrism to like critique some of the blatantly horrendous things that are happening. And just like, make it come from a place of human decency, not even like which tribe you're associated to. And I I just continue to be baffled by how little of that I'm seeing from people who were like, he's not great, but But, we'll do this and then. Yeah, yeah. and then we're going to push him left. Not his brain, his heart. (laughs) Not his brain, (laughs) his his heart. heart. Totally. He cares. He sees us. (laughs) Yeah. I've never felt so seen. It's because I'm it's because I'm on Zoom all the time, but that's a different conversation. Oh God, totally. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's mind numbing. It's it's brain smoothing. It's like drool wipingly, just like idiotic. It would be fine if like people also cared about how everyone's dying. Like it would be fine if you want to engage in the scrunchy discourse and like say that you're a political person and that you believe in like human rights and all those good things. And you also engaged in the $15 minimum wage conversation or the cancel student debt conversation and like supported those things. But it's like, 
no, I'm I'm gonna do the girl boss slay queen, talk about outfits at inaugurations, oh and God. the rest like is not for me because it doesn't materially impact me. Yeah, I mean, you said it very well. You like scrunchies. You grew up with scrunchies, and you can still believe in kind of like you know, I don't know, single payer healthcare or something like that. <laughs> Those two things are not mutually exclusive. A scrunchie. <laughs> And single payer healthcare, yeah. And I promise you that yeah. they're gonna do some sort of fundraiser where they're selling like JoJo Siwa style scrunchies and like giving the money to uh, people in like <laughs> oh, yeah. Houston that like uh, have been without uh, power and food for days on end or what have you. Oh God! I, can I just say I'm really proud of myself. I just found out who JoJo Siwa was. Uh, I, this is how like removed from can you actual scrunchy discourse I can am. Can you explain to the guests and to me because I have Carly, no we, idea. Oh, we can okay. go hard right now. We can go so hard, Ryan. <laughs> I went down like such a rabbit hole and I was like going back like years and I was like, oh, look at her when she was like on fucking Dance Moms and like it was it was a lot. Um, so Jojo Siwa, correct me anytime. Just like this is this is very top level artificial internet knowledge that I have. This is not hold like, on. Let me let me get my PDFs out. Get your PDFs out. <laughs> I got a folder here. Hold on. Uh. We got to get the, the the Washington Post fact checkers up in here. Three Snopes. Pinocchios. Hey, Snopes. Where are you at? Okay, so she was um, a child a reality star because she was on the show Dance Moms. Correct. Correct. Okay, great. So far, one for one. <laughs> um, and she like got co-opted into like the Nickelodeon like octagon <laughs> and um, is like a singer and a dancer and has like a really intense, I mean, it's like, again, I grew up in the 90s. So Lisa Frank energy, I'm here for it. She's like, like technicolor like rainbow stars on her eyes like side ponytails scrunchies everywhere she's in like big sort of like Miley big shoulders sequins rainbow everything wait is is this the same girl that's in like the sia videos and stuff no no I... the, the chick that just got like blasted for like for pretending, pretending to, to be, be autistic. Yeah, for pretending oh, to be autistic. Oh, I didn't catch that update. That's, this is not JoJo Siwa? No. Okay. The reason she was even on my radar is because she made a splash coming out. Mm -hmm. uh, best gay cousin ever. Best gay cousin ever. She was wearing a t-shirt and it was like a big deal because she's like this, you know, child star who's kind of like right. in the machine and- Who's pretty, pretty in that like reality, like Midwest mom culture probably from the dance and, and she's like not that old. And she's one of the highest grossing, um, like, you know, like brands in existence in American pop culture today. And she was uh, she was included in Time magazine's the Time 100 of the most influential people in the world this last year under the heading of artist with such luminaries as like, uh, oh, my God, who even was it like a bunch of pop singers and shit like that. And like maybe Anish Kapoor yeah. or something like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, the funny thing about her, too, that I really appreciate is that her voice, if you hear her speak, she sounds like she spent her entire life in a fucking casino. Like she has like a two pack a day smoker, like <laughs> really? Jersey. She... And she's like 17 years yes. old. But she's been uh, styled like a nine year old for the past, you know, 10 years of her life or what have you. So she's just kind of like this infantile yep. like experiment. She's like a human experiment. 
Oh my God. So Aaron, I'll just really quick. So I was doing a podcast with my friend Rel and we were doing kind of like art and culture, which is unfortunately been, you know, indefinitely suspended, but we did Jojo Siwa on our last episode. And, uh, and I, and um, I made this audio. So we were, so the topics of conversation were like the, the Capitol riots and Jojo Siwa. And I will send it to you. It was this audio I did of like a Jojo Siwa song and like her, you know, like giving a house tour, but also with like people at the Capitol riots being like, I've never been in this house before. How about you? We fucking own you. You know, like all this shit, like uh, juxtaposing, oh, like a Trump, like cue rhetoric yes, with Jojo Siwa. And then like Jojo talking and then Trump being like, the American people have had it. <laughs> like, it is so fucking, very proud of that. My audio collage, oh my like top tier. No. Oh, that is next level. Send it to me. It's going to go like right here in the recording. Yes, it 1,000%. Before this video gets started, I would like to let you all know that I am so excited. I am going back on tour. We just added 50 new cities to DR. Armed protests are being scheduled at all 50 state capitals. Our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore. And that's what this is all about. People's representatives and the Capitol Hill police sworn to protect them. <laughs> it's a great place as any to like, I guess, do a weird official intro 20 minutes into the episode and say, what's up, everybody? It's Hit Factory. Uh, you know me, you know Carly. And today we have a very special guest. We've already been talking to him for a little bit. Uh, it is the co-host of the short-lived but highly influential <laughs> art, culture, and mink podcast, uh, Dead Air. It's Ryan Cartwright. Ryan, hello and welcome. Hello, everybody. <laughs> it is such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's so great to have you. You've been uh, on on my list of people to get on this show for as long as we've been doing it now. And it's just like, I'm really glad that you're here today to, to talk about uh, a movie that has absolutely nothing to do with any of the the aforementioned topics in any way whatsoever. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on that a little bit <laughs> um, because oh my god, what's the leading lady's name? She's she's a bit of a girl. Saffron Burroughs is a bit of a girl boss. That's Am I right? Saffron Burroughs <laughs> is a bit of a girl boss. But I will say this about this movie that uh, I'll also say that I guess we are today talking about the 1999. Uh, monster shark action thriller Deep Blue Sea. I don't even know what to call it. That's all those things in one. But this movie, more than just about any movie we've done so far, really embraces the dude's rock mentality. Oh, God. Like, this is a movie that, like, you know, just sort of resolutely declares, like, no girls allowed. Uh, science is for fucking nerds. Yeah, science is for fucking nerds. And, and work sucks. Like that is like what this movie says about 
about life. And it ends, you know, spoiler up front here with just like the two dudes. The two dutiest dudes. The two dutiest dudes. It kills all the smart people. It kills all of the science people. The hot guy and the religious guy. Yeah, yeah, are the ones that live. And you want to know what I just learned? They originally had her live at the end. And when they did their test screenings, the audience hated it. And they did a one-day reshoot and killed her. Wow, Because really? they were like, no, that fucking nerd's got to go. <laughs> and and like the writers, like David E. Kelly, they're like, we kind of thought that she was kind of like an anti or like, you know, she was the prime mover of this plot. And they were like, no, nope, got to go. No, she sucks. She sucks. She's off. Okay, but also that that explains the scene in which it's not even a scene, it's like a fleeting moment in which she dies. I missed it. Like literally I blinked and I did and then she was like gone and yeah. like not in the water anymore and I was like, did she just did she just die? And I had to rewatch her death scene. I was like, <laughs> is she, she like like blue now? Did she like you know become she, Alex Mack and like fade did, did into she go the, the bathroom? Get to the bed. The shark like hesitates too for a minute. No, the shark like holds off and then like waits for Tom Jane to jump in the water and then is like, "This is psych- what got me. This is what got me." They totally psyched me out and made me think that the shark was going to be like mama and that we were going to have that moment of like the the you know child recognizing its like creator and its mother and being like uh i hate you but i'm not gonna kill you but that's not what happened it like swooped around and like killed her in a way that the shark didn't does not kill anyone else it just like ate her gobbled her up whole instead of like chomping on her yeah and then ripped her into a couple pieces it was a couple pieces i missed missed it i had to rewatch her death scene like three times to be sure that it happened i did too I also rewatched it, but only because I hate nerds and I hate women. So I just, for the satisfaction, I had to watch it over and over and over. She was giving off like a lot of hateable energy, I have to say, throughout (laughs) the movie. I mean, like we're, we're not a left podcast, but we do talk about left politics. And I think that it was only, only right that, you know, after we cross like the 25 episode mark and realize that we have a little bit of a foothold here that we just like, that the mask comes off and we say finally like, yeah, like work sucks. We hate nerds and uh, and we hate women. So like this movie is for us. It's just nice that we can, you know, despite our political differences, agree on something. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking we can come to the middle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna put my mask on. <laughs> I'm I had to take my mask off in in a public like space today because of the appointment I was at. Horrifying. Just really? like blood curdling yes <laughs> it was terrible <laughs> yeah you feel so naked it's it's not good like it's this weird. like, like the scene someone. of saffron burrows when she takes off her wetsuit to attract oh my god I was, it's it's a good kill scene for it the is. like it, it's like the one redemptive moment for that character yeah I woke and up. like i woke yeah. up and like saffron burrows is hot you know like she looks good in a swimsuit she's, got a great body. she's a model but also the only thing I could think of the entire time I was watching it, and this is part of because like of just how fucking derivative this movie is, that it was like they set this entire scene up just to have an opportunity to rip off the ending of Alien. It, obviously, it's uh, nodding towards Alien throughout. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of like absurd the extent to which. And then I wonder how much something like Scream comes into the equation with the kind of like expectation that LL Cool J as a black man is going to die and like the way that that 
uh, you're like kind of satisfied in the end and you're it's, it's almost like a Biden kind of thing. You're like, I'm satisfied by this because it didn't do that one thing. <laughs> <laughs> you fully brought it full circle. It's, it's it is the it's we've been talking about some version of this thing on the show. And I I think I've like previously referred to it as um, the Biden cabinet united colors of Benetton phenomenon, where like you like think the cabinet is going to look one way, but then it's got like an Asian lady and like a black guy and like other people. And you're like, oh, OK, cool. So it's just not old white dudes. So we're fine. And that's like totally what you're talking about. It was yeah, like uh, Ryan Cartwright, CEO of Halliburton. He, him. <laughs> <laughs> B- BLM on the on the, the drones that we're yeah. sending over. Lock Vade Martin. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. But yes, like this, this movie is just like, you're right, Ryan. It's, it's derivative in so many ways that have to be deliberate. Like it is obviously immediately and very defiantly skirting the jaws opening at the beginning when Tom Jane like harpoons a shark and saves a bunch of stupid teenagers on a boat. And like, there's like a a bunch of Jurassic park ripoffs too. Yes. Jurassic park big time. They even like kind of cop the John Williams score when they're like flying the helicopter to the Island. Yes. And then when they're doing it here, like the, the score is so similar to that. John Williams. (laughs) you guys were made for each other he said that and i was like i don't know what you're talking about it's exactly that (laughs) i watched it with my roommates and they all said the same thing throughout (laughs) and obviously like you know one of the highest grossing most successful movies of the 90s it it rips off titanic i guess it was even shot in some of the tanks that they used on that film as well yes uh and then yeah alien all these things like i was i was interested to read and i maybe you can you can emphasize this or de-emphasize this based on the conversations you've had with people close to the production. But Mm -hmm. I understand that Rennie Harlan was like looking for a hit because he had directed Die Hard 2. He had directed The Long Kiss Goodnight. He had directed Cliffhanger and then just like busted on a bunch of stuff. So at the end of the 90s here, he's like going for broke and wanted to make something that was like a, a callback to like serious monster movies. And... And the movie seems to like only work if you feel like they are in on the joke and know that they know how stupid it is. Yeah, I think, like I said, you know, Scream came to mind a lot. I feel like there is a little bit of that happening and I'm not certain where it begins and ends. But there are some sort of like... um you know, just like peripateas, like these weird little like reversals of fortune. Like, you know, the Samuel L. Jackson speech is a great example. I mean, that's such a great ironic moment. Mm-hmm. Like whatever you think about the film, like that's a very great scene. And then of course, LL Cool J surviving. I'm watching it with my roommates and, you know, they're pretty drunk. And he's like, fucking LL Cool J is going to die. Black guy always dies. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> and then it didn't happen. And it was very satisfying <laughs> in this sort of meta way. There's like a an interesting sense of like, like you said, like like sort of meta narrative justice in the sense that we know the way that these movies usually go, and then it doesn't do that thing. We we feel less betrayed because of it. Like it's almost like this is not what we want to see happen, but we we intrinsically like assert that it's going to. Like LL Cool J is going to die, Sam Jackson's going to live, the lady doctor's going to live. Like and then those things don't happen and all of a sudden you feel rewarded for it 
But yeah, I mean, the, the, the subversions here are a ton of fun. Carly had never seen this movie before we watched it. And somehow for 20 odd years had never seen or heard about the Samuel L. Jackson speech. So I was very, very pleased to watch that moment with her. Listen, I watched the making the music video episode of Deepest Bluest. My head is like a shark fin. That was all I needed. I didn't need anything else. And I remember LL Cool J talking about uh, how painful the black contact lenses were that he wears in that music video because he's a shark. The lyrics even suggest that he is indeed a shark. Like... The, there are lyrics in the song that uh, literally say jet black eyes. So then he just pops up. Anyways, that episode was a really good episode of making the music video because there were B-girls. There were synchronized swimmers. There were pools. LL Cool J is literally in like a steampunk, like, like ribcage high leather set of overalls where the suspenders just like perfectly go over and like the opening and the clasps are over his nipples. So his nipples go through the clasps. Anyways, like I work at a craft cocktail bar, so I, I know very much about that. <laughs> you know all about that look. I know where the leather overalls go. All so. I'm saying is that, that was you my, don't put the buckles right there. You got to put the buckles right there. <laughs> it's also utilitarian. He needs the man needs to the nipples need to breathe. Um, but I will say that I was fully agape when Samuel L. Jackson got chomped. Like I was I, that was like the one moment where I like sat up and I was like, <laughs> what 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 well, what it's, it's so perfect because like they're they're setting him up for the entire first half of the movie like everybody seems to know this guy and they're like oh yeah you were that guy who's like in the mountains right it, it's just like not they, they bring it up in in ways that contextually just like don't make sense where like the doctor's like oh i read that thing about you in the himalayas he's like, yeah, like actually uh, it was the alps yeah the australian like shark handler is like yeah man i read john Krakauer. like i know all about <laughs> That shit. <laughs> oh god it's like how do you guys know about this guy like this is i mean like i don't know if i could give you the name he was in nat geo yeah but i don't i haven't read nat geo in how long and i don't know if i could give you the name of the last person who like survived some sort of like terrible life-threatening plight on everest of all the things that are like problematic in this movie that is not one that bothers me i'm like sure like we these people need to know this dude we get it the one like semi cogent thing i will say for this conversation and then i'll back into my stupidity again is um there was like this like really intense sequence of just like one right after the other when he first gets on the um the complex yeah the the panopticon look at the way it's designed there's really like oh boy um the water park he um so he's like meeting all the all the crew people and everyone is just like being total dicks to him and i like turned to aaron and said like this is like this movie's attempt at like class solidarity, but because in the nineties and even to this day, Americans don't have like the literacy or like the organizing impetuses and principles to like 
actualize class solidarity and any like real revolutionary um, like action, class solidarity just looks like being mean to rich people <laughs> and like being it rich, was mean to a rich person. a rich person just like one right after the other this guy who like aaron remarked like is funding the entire like venture everyone was just like hey man what's up fuck you and your then like the next person tied around your fucking shoulders yes, bitch. Totally. <laughs> and i mean <laughs> is it is it isn't that a great summation of the ways in which like we have been like divorced of our ability to make collective changes because we never look at things in collective ways when we're making critiques. It's always you, the individual, you know, you Samuel L. Jackson, we hate you, this one rich guy, completely divorced from the fact that this is like a big, big pharma advertisement, (laughs) right? Like kind of animal (laughs) testing, like there's some subtext there. I, I have to remark on this before we get like too deep into the rest of the plot, but like, the second scene where Saffron Burroughs goes to like make the appeal to Samuel L. Jackson at like the, the corporate office and, and say like, Oh, you know, like I can give you this pill that will like save hundreds of thousands of people and end Alzheimer's. And uh, thanks Moderna. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Pfizer's Pfizer's going to get this next week. We got to get it first. Like we have to be the first ones to approve. We need more taxpayer subsidies. But when they, when they, when she goes to make this appeal to Samuel L. Jackson, he is not like the head honcho. There's like an old white white guy guy. in a suit. There's a white guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's like sitting in a chair and Samuel L. Jackson just like has his arm draped around him. Like he's like some sort of weird, like salacious crumb to his job of the hut. (laughs) And like, he doesn't say a word though. Like he doesn't cackle. He doesn't remark. He doesn't like even like whisper in Sam Jackson's ear. He just like, stairs and it's it's so weird like it's it's like it's fucking weird it's kind of like fetishistic it's almost like kind of weirdly sexual where he's like it's his like little gimp that like he has in this chair i was hard as a rock (laughs) (laughs) that scene too something that really struck me about that scene like the two of them are behind the desk and there's all this sort of like bad photography and it's like black and white photos of hands cleaning oil covered duck like from like oil you know exxon valdez era <laughs> yeah yeah that's what gets them off that's like their that's their sex items it's like <laughs> i get i get hard just thinking about all the dawn that we're gonna have to use on all these animals as they slowly <laughs> suffocate on black tar oh my like, god <laughs> like we're here to help we're yeah but <laughs> once we get to like aquatica itself the gang's all here. Like, this is a really stacked, like, roster of 90s who's who's. You've got, obviously, like, Thomas. No. G- no. I think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is, like, a good, this is, like, a good, I mean, not a good cast, but, like, it has notable, like, Thomas Jane is here. Samuel Jackson is obviously. Now, I know you don't know Thomas Jane, but a lot of people know Thomas <laughs> Michael Jane. Michael Rappaport, who was very much having a moment. He was totally having a moment. Tom Jane just wants his kids back, okay? Like that's <laughs> that's it. Tom Tom Jane is just trying to not recidivate or whatever the verb is. He's he is an ex-con and he's like, "Look, I'm just trying to earn a decent living. I don't ask questions. I don't want to go back to the clink." He's on a don't ask don't tell sort of like Yes, he is transgendered. Here. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> That's, That's right. <laughs> right. We're doing the United Colors of Benetton here like Michael Rappaport's <laughs> character is obviously gay. <laughs> No. Okay. Wait. We've <laughs> got to talk about. Wait, do you actually think there's he's gay? Some homoerotic. 
No, there totally is. Oh, we him, him and him and preach. Him we and, did, him and we did not cool talk day. about this. But when I was watching this movie last night, I was just joking, by the way. No, but no, I do no. want to hear your justification no, no, no. for this. No. Okay, so the thing with Michael Rappaport is we have to talk about like the types of characters that he is often cast as and the way that he plays those characters. This this is especially salient because we are just talking about true romance. True romance. And he's like also kind of like a, you know, a bumbling, kind of smiley. He's not an idiot, but he's like kind of sweet. I don't know. I don't I'm I mean very politically incorrect. <laughs> they um, they like actually go out of their way to let you know that he's not an idiot. Like he's he's actually supposed to be like the smart guy. No, that's like- the crazy thing. Okay. So Michael Rappaport like tends to play characters like that where they're kind of like you know, working class and they're like a little bit, he, he kind of plays them a little, a little sort of like regular, right? He plays them like Michael Rappaport. And I, (laughs) I also commented this. I was like, does Michael Rappaport ever not have his Michael Rappaport voice? Like, does he ever like just not sound like that? No. So in this movie, yes, his lines, like the words written for him and the point at which he comes in and provides information is meant to signal to us that he is a smarty pants and that he like has, they almost sort of make him seem a little bit autistic. I like, don't know if that was purposeful or not, but they, they sort of give him this, like, you know, he's very literate with numbers. He has yeah, but like, look at that outfit, but look at that outfit. <laughs> and he's got these other weird kind of difficult. like, it's there. There was like a moment where he, I think he was talking to, Jane, um, so Thomas Jane's character, yeah. Yeah. Um, Thomas Jane's character, and he the fences. Like, <laughs> the fences, the fences. Line is my yeah. favorite. Yeah, <laughs> because he makes because he mixes uh, uh, standards of measurement too, where he's like, oh, it's about eight feet tall, give or take a centimeter. A centimeter. <laughs> and then, like, also depending like, on trade winds and you know, like, yeah, tensile no, strength. He's the, like saying really smart stuff, but the way he's delivering it is like not like he's not delivering it with agency or like some like any sort of level of comfort like the the words feel like uncomfortable in his mouth and the 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 closeness he has with uh particularly with preacher and with thomas jane's character feels very childlike where i was like there's something kind of infantile about him and i don't know if we're it's like we're supposed to feel that or whatever. Anyways, I was getting some like weird relationshipy things with him. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. I mean, add, add Rain Man to the, to the films that uh, this one takes influence from. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He like, he's just like regurgitating. He's like, yeah, that's contingent on the teen style strength. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like such a weird miscast role where it's like Michael Rappaport doesn't know what any of these words are, but I guess it does make sense for like the character if he's, yeah, if he's like maybe queer and also autistic and like, yeah, I mean like, you know, like when he gets weirded out by like the texture of the wetsuit and, you know, also is just like. He's literally just Gen Z. He's like queer (laughs) and autistic (laughs) and uh, weirdly knowledgeable about, you know, knots. How fast is a knot? He's got an OnlyFans. Like, yeah, he totally yeah, yeah. does. <laughs> he hasn't been posting a lot lately, but I still get $6 a month. I don't know. It's fine. It's going we're through just, a rough we're su- time. We're supporting creators. It's okay. 
Um, and then, you know, Ada Totoro shows up for a minute here, too, who I have never seen in anything outside of The Sopranos. But, you know, talk about derivative again, too. Like, I did think it was really weird that there was that scene where the shark was was fucking her with, like, the gun to her head. Like, I thought that, that was kind of, <laughs> kind of, you know, seemed like it, it didn't realize that it originated from that place. And then, like, you know, the whole impetus for the attack being that, like, the Gen 2 Mako shark gives Thomas Jane a leather jacket, which then he he then gives <laughs> to to the, the cleaners and then they get pissed off. And it's just, it's like, there's a lot here that seem to come up later on. Dad, with... are you in the ocean? Well, <laughs> 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 really, like, when you think about it, The Sopranos is just equal parts Fellini and Deep Blue Sea. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> We're just going to put that. We're going to table that for now. <laughs> Oh my god. But really though, she was just being Janice in a tower. Like that's all she was doing. And then she gets blowed up real fast. Like she does not have much to do here. And then, of course, because this is the same character that he always plays, Stellan Skarsgard shows up as like a frumpy chain smoking doctor. Like it's the same thing he does in the in the MCU. I'm sure there's other examples of this too, but like I just feel like this is always always what Stellan Skarsgård is doing. Yeah, I mean, basically, this is a film composed of a pretty well-known cast that exclusively play themselves. They only <laughs> hit, they only play the hits, you know? That's, <laughs> That's what it so is. So true. They're just, they're just riffing, they're just jamming on like a nice, like, you know, like an E major and everything is just, <laughs> everything's just flowing here. I don't know if LL is as religious as uh, they make him out to be in real life, yeah. but can I point something out from that very first scene where the kids are on the boat and they come and save them? Speaking of like, to, to, it kind of sets the tone for like the the Christian symbolism that we're about to get hit with because there's like blue, but then he's always gold. But in that scene, whatever, something knocks into the boat and a bottle of wine rolls off and starts pouring into the water, and then the shark attacks it. There was literal transmutation happening in the first scene of this movie. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. The sacrament, baby. Yeah. Look at you. That art history background, man. It's, <laughs> Thank you. It's real. Yeah, I studied the humanities. <laughs> <laughs> we all did. That's why we're podcasters. We all did, I know. <laughs> um, no, that's, uh, that's fabulous. And... <laughs> The gold thing that you referenced, I, I sort of knew that obliquely, but now I'm cycling through the images of LL in the movie. And you're so right. He's always always sort of has that like round halo yeah. of, of gold behind him. Yeah. I wonder when, I mean, because, you know, I think in the 2000s, everything being super duper blue or super duper orange was just the norm, which obviously continues today in television and especially prestige television. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it has its roots in like Alien or something like that. But this movie, the lighting is <laughs> expressionistic almost. Uh, there's something about it that I enjoy. We've already alluded to it, but Ryan, you do have a family member who worked on Deep Blue Sea. So I I know that you are limited in how critical of this movie you can be for fear of Thanksgiving's becoming awkward. But well, first of all, I don't go home for Thanksgiving because that is a settler colonial holiday. I go Second home of all, for- my family hates me already. <laughs> yeah. I'm also not invited anywhere because I keep bringing that up. 
Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll come out and say that, like, I do enjoy this movie, like, just viscerally, like, on a kind of, like, just just balls to the wall, just love it, you know? And I loved it as a child, but I did have my uncle, who I spoke to right before we got on the chat, and I was like, dude, gave me some dirt, but I'm trying to get into this conversation, and we start having, like, really serious family conversations, and I got, like, five minutes, and I'm like, hey, so... I wanted to ask you, <laughs> but he did tell me one fun story that I would love to share. Uh, and of course this is just like once removed, but <sighs> so it was filmed in Mexico uh, on this, you know, series of like, there, there were, were like, uh, like shipping tankers that they did it on and all kinds of different stuff like that. And they're utilizing all the stuff from Titanic and whatever, but it was, um, he said that uh, a lot of them were Australian and a lot of them were American and all of the like kind of sound people were Australian and all the grip department and electricians were all American and they were constantly going at it with each other. And he said that the sound guy was a real fucking piece of work and that the, the, the key grip (laughs) was like uh, an American dude that was just like jacked. And this like Australian Sound guy is just talking shit, riding everybody so hard. And he said it was a pretty stressful shoot. They're going like, you know, this is like day 45 or something like that. They're doing these long ass days. They're out in the water, you know, all kinds of elements. And long story short, the sound guy is talking a bunch of shit. And the key grip, who's a pretty, you know, I mean, that's a pretty significant person on a set. He just fucking, next thing my uncle knows, he was the AD on it. He just, it turns on a dime. And the dude's in a chair, and the next thing he knows, he's on top of him, throttling him, choking him. And the way that my uncle described it, he said, have you ever seen somebody choke somebody when they know how to choke somebody? (laughs) Like, this isn't like, this isn't erotic. This isn't a playful. This isn't a test. This is the fucking real deal. This is how you kill a man and watch him shit his pants. He's throttling the guy. My uncle's on him. He's completely incapable of pulling this guy off because it's just like he's just you know 350 a muscle or something like that (laughs) he's he's just trying to talk into his ear and get him they call the mexican police the mexican police come and of course that takes quite a while and then they show up and they're like "Eh, it's private property (laughs) we don't really have any jurisdiction in the private property of an american film studio (laughs) and that was really the only dirt i got but he, he was like he was like, do you want me to call in to the show? <laughs> I'll tell you all kinds of shit. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh, if oh that would have been good. We'll yeah, do a we'll part have to do it next time. Sure we'll, do a part two. we'll do Mercury um, Rising or another one of his hits. Did the sound guy live? He did. He did. Yes. And uh... Okay. Okay. <laughs> he yeah. is now the CEO of Spotify. <laughs> no. <laughs> He let his pop popularity just take him as far as it could. <laughs> if only. Literally got me. I was like, oh, oh God. Wow. Uh. <laughs> oh, Ryan. Uh, oh, my God. I do want to talk about one thing. I do have an appeal that we have to make. We're going to get serious here for a second. If we are going to have to suffer through all of the neoliberal bullshit and all the return to like, these weird Disney obsessed infantile like children getting to pick all the movies and the entertainment and the content that comes out uh, for, you know, the next thousand years until we all just have like brain chips that just play 
Disney movies on repeat in our brains. <laughs> they they uh, sort you into which Hogwarts house you belong in. <laughs> <laughs> you should if, vote for <laughs> Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> She's Elizabeth a Hufflepuff War- like you. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren is for sure a Hufflepuff. She's for sure a Hufflepuff. But if we're going to have to go through and deal with like the daily like drudgery of that bullshit, I think that it's very important that at least once a year we return to a time and place uh, where we get a really good movie music video tie-in. You know, and and not just like an artist doing a song that is. you know, also like in the movie and like has has visuals from the movie and the music video. I'm talking like somebody who stars in the film who makes a song for it. The the, the canon of those songs is much smaller, I think. It's like LL Cool J, it's Will Smith. I'm sure Will Smith comes to mind, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I have to make an honest and genuine appeal because I think that there's one person culturally who has both the chops and the level of import and the and and the the record already the track record of of film roles that he could ostensibly do this and that's one Jojo Siwa I was literally <laughs> just going to say that <laughs> Jojo Siwa Yes that's exactly what I was going to say no I it's O'Shea Jackson Jr aka uh Mini Ice Cube <laughs> who has already played his dad in Straight Outta Compton. Right. He has he had like a, a, a modest rap career. You can find some of his like tracks and videos on YouTube. But he's been in like a Seth Rogen comedy. He's been in Den of Thieves, like a big Netflix hit. He was also, you know, starring in Godzilla, in Godzilla King of the Monsters. Exactly. So like, this is the guy. This is the guy to do it. And I think that, as a, as a an act of good faith, uh, Mr. Jackson should retroactively record a music video tie-in for Godzilla King of the Monsters. I would watch the <laughs> shit out of that. I can't wait, sure. and I can't wait for the, the behind-the-scenes footage. Yes! Where they talk about the overalls and the corset that he had to wear and how uncomfortable I'm telling you that making the music video hits. Hits on hits on hits. I watch that nonstop. I just get the feeling that with that music video, particularly because he plays a soldier in King of the Monsters, like it would just be like a three and a half minute ad for like the military state. It would just it would just be like a like a a Captain Marvel. It's better than the 99 minute one that the movie was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) O'Shea Jackson. We uh, first of all come on the pod. We can't wait to have you on, and we can discuss it further. This is an open invitation. Yeah, we've got Thank we've got you. a whole slew of rappers that are supposed to come on the show. Ice T is supposed to come on. O'Shea Jackson. I, um, I mean, I guess like I don't know who else would be cool. Travis Scott maybe can come on if he wants to. Uh, you know, he and I are still kind of upset with each other from the last time you we were on a pod together. But That's fair. Was that after you trashed? I just didn't like song? McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about his fucking his McDonald's meal. I forgot about that too. It's humiliating just to be alive at the same time as that. <laughs> I'm embarrassed for us collectively as a culture. It was a sandwich that was derived just like from a normal like quarter pounder. It just had a different sauce on it. 
That's and it. if there if there wasn't a better fucking summation of pop music today, <laughs> right? It's the same shit, but a different sauce. <laughs> Brian Cartwright coming in hot. This is why we have you on the show. Okay, but seriously though, like that, the music video for this movie is. It's either like an after dinner mint or it's like an amuse-bouche to the movie. It's like totally on the same frequency where it's just like images and, and, you know, dynamism and wet and like blue and, and like the lyrics don't make sense. Just the same way that like the lines in this movie don't make sense. Like after seeing the movie, I was like, oh yeah, the music video Totally. They're, they're a package deal. Yeah, you cannot have one without the other. It reminds me of Wild Wild West, um, another movie yes. that was written entirely with a single eight ball in a night. <laughs> so bad. How all movie good movies so were written. bad. We were talking about Wild Wild West last night, actually, when Aaron was, you know, sort of musing about this this argument about uh, the music about the video. Singer. About the music video comeback. Another one of my favorite movies from my childhood. I like objectively absolutely loved both of these movies when I was like nine years old, ten years old. I was like, this is just swashbuckling fun. I'm going to put the cassette tape on my Walkman while I'm an unaccompanied minor going to visit my fucking deadbeat dad across the country and just rock that song over and over and just imagine what it could be like to have others in my life. I hated to have others in my life. <laughs> I hated close. Wild Wild West growing up. Really? More of a cyberpunk guy than a steampunk guy. That's right. <laughs> More of a cyberpunk guy. I was yeah. I was watching some weird like Blade Runner Jr. thing that was, you know, happening. Oh my way. god, like Nick Jr. but Blade Runner Jr. That's what we're gonna have <laughs> in the next <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. It's it, even worse to it. <laughs> Weplicants. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's gonna be like it's gonna be some sort of like neon soaked noirish sci-fi dystopia, but but the characters in it are gonna be I don't know, it's it's gonna be like the version of the Jetsons that we get that's live action or it's gonna be <laughs> I, I don't even know. Yeah, it'll be it'll be like a Rugrats, like Rugrats twenty forty nine or something. Like that's our <laughs> next that's our next No, film. Rugrats were like way too communist for yeah, and Recess, Fury not- Road. Oh my God, Recess was so good. Yeah. <laughs> I know that this is like a tangent, but have you all been seeing a lot of the announcements coming out of like the entertainment uh, industry in the last couple of weeks about all of these properties that are being redone and, and updated for adult uh, children audiences? Uh, the adult children that <laughs> still pretend like Joe Biden was a good choice. That's I mean, right. that's the infantile the- Harry Potter, like, you know, watch The Office 20 times in a row, sort of just uh, it, just rooted in that moment in your childhood where they broke you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then an inability to acknowledge it. Yes, <laughs> completely. And maybe that's the tie-in, but also like in the last two weeks, I've seen they're going to do a, a gritty adult reboot of the Powerpuff Girls live action. No, which also gonna... I'm kind of here for, and I hate to admit it because I just love the Powerpuff Girls so oh, much, and it was already a little dark. Girls. No, yeah, yes, and but they're awesome. But I him, mean, Mojo Jojo Siwa, Mojo Jojo, and him, <laughs> Mojo Jojo Siwa. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Harambe's back. Got him. <laughs> 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 
no, story. but so like they're gonna make Buttercup like bisexual, and they're gonna make him like an actual trans. Buttercup, Biden. Yeah, they're gonna have like I don't even know yeah. like what's yeah. that pop yeah. singer with the green hair that'll be uh you know what I'm uh, Billy Eilish. Oh, Billy Eilish. <laughs> He's gonna be in there. He's gonna be Buttercup, and and they're gonna get JoJo Siwa uh, will be Bubbles. They're gonna get Kyle Chandler to play the professor. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> He's gonna be like the hot dad professor. Uh, yeah, daddy, but yes, other, daddy. other... <laughs> I super had a crush on the professor. <laughs> why? Why do all the Powerpuff Girls want to get choked out by their dad on this? <laughs> <laughs> and why do I also? What is Chemical X? <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's so in that same oh realm of of shit. There's also like a Mindy Kaling produced uh, Scooby Doo adaptation that's live action called Velma. That's just gonna be. Oh, that's got a lot of Slay Queen energy. It's so girl boss energy. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna be Pantsuit. like the 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 de facto leader of the group who was like, you know, she made you know uh, three quarters of the salary that Fred made on the show. But she wasn't <laughs> Daphne, right? So right. she's like. You know, she wasn't the hot one. She wasn't the hot one. She wore right. glasses and like a big chunky turtleneck. And she was smart, but mm-hmm. she like also solved all the mysteries. So yeah, big girl boss energy. And then one that just got announced, I think yesterday, maybe early today, is a, a Disney Plus series called Cruella. That is an origin story for Cruella Deville, With starring Emma Stone. Emma Stone. Yeah. What? Yes. Where she has like the black and white, like it was kind of like it used to be a punk hairdo, right? Does, isn't I feel like I saw some of the copy from that. Yeah, it, it basically looks like Harley Quinn origins, but with oh the but with the character from One Hundred One Dalmatians. Someone was quick to point this out and said, "It's cool that you're giving this character so much girl boss energy and and such a cool in depth backstory, only to have her defeated by." 101 Dalmatians later in her life. <laughs> by a bunch of fucking puppies. Right, by a bunch of fucking puppies. <laughs> but also it's like a weird, it's a weird thing to me, not to like make this a real conversation, but it's a weird thing that that's like a pretty regular impetus that we have, which is to like examine the origin stories and the motivations of evil rich people. Yeah. Like constantly, that's all we do in like mainstream media and popular culture. And this is a very strange version of that because it's about a cartoon. Like, Yeah. She, her parents real. owned a diamond mine in South Africa and now <laughs> she's the richest damsel on the town. Like a dog bit her when she was young or something, right? <laughs> yeah, like that's the trauma. I am going to become Cruella. Oh, that's, I hate that. I actually saw a person that I grew up with today who posted, not just on their story, but just like actual Instagram post of like, I don't really do Disney anymore, but this looks really good. (laughs) Oh, okay. Newsflash, you do Disney. (laughs) You do Disney. You do do. You do do. And it's like, you know, in the comments, it's just a bunch of like left Twitter being like, why does this exist? And then there's a bunch of like accounts that are like, uh, WandaVision Stan with like a, an AV that's already Emma Stone is Cruella and like a banner of like the promotional stills and a, a, a comment that's like, 
this looks delightfully venomous. Can't wait. And you're like, you're, mm. you're an op. Like this is this is <laughs> You're literally a bot and an op and <laughs> I can't I can't with you with you Twitter I people. Can't. They're like, why don't we? Yeah, and then left Twitter is like, why don't we get a backstory on the Dalmatians, huh? <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> we don't want any of this. Class solidarity with the Dalmatians. Oh my god! Yeah, as a furry, yeah, I take offense. <laughs> hey, there's got to be a good furry episode of this Cruella show coming on the horizon. Okay. Oh, it's a television but, like, show. The Powerpuff Girls one. I watch. Yeah. You, will you watch the Powerpuff Girls? One? Yeah. See, that's what they're banking. Is on. it a movie or a, or a serialized? It, it's going to be a series. Oh no. Yeah. No, I won't do that. They're just they're going to make like a slutty bubbles. Yeah, like it's like a super like you know whatever queer inclusive. It's the Power Bottom Girls or the Power that's Bottom right. Puff Girls, something like that. You know, there's something there's something there. I'll, let me work on it. Let me workshop this. We'll give you some time to do that and then get you on again to, to discuss your ideas. <laughs> Can't uh, wait. This episode really hasn't been about Deep Blue Sea, has it? But okay, <laughs> one one final comment that I want to ask both of you, uh, or not comment, one final question I want to ask both of you. So, like, this, the whole time I was watching this movie, I was like, why is this movie called Deep Blue Sea? Like, it's n- not about that. Aaron offered that like a great alternative would be smart sharks. I agree. I think there's a lot of territory there to play in. That was already a vacuum. Yep. Um, But I then got to the end of the movie where they're like, Oh, they just want to like go into the deep blue sea. And I was like, fine, whatever. But I still think that this is a terrible title for this movie. Yeah. So my question to each of you is what is, this movie supposed to be called like what should wide sargasso sea (laughs) no i (laughs) um i like smart sharks i think that's good um fuck nerds the movie (laughs) that's that's basically what it is like it's it is a it's a dude's rock movie like it's got to have some sort of cool name like that where it's like bloody teeth or something so this is this is i think where my like question is coming from is that deep blue deep blue sea just felt really feckless like it didn't like the movie is like and then the title is just like deep blue sea and deep blue sea is the warmest color like it's kind of it's got a nice ring to it (laughs) you even have to go that far there's a there's a, a very recent romantic uh period drama called The Deep Blue Sea that has like Tom Hiddleston and Rachel Weisz in it. Which I believe is a uh, revamping of a play. There was a play called The Deep Blue Sea, which came premiered okay. in the 50s. It was an English play, and I don't know okay. anything about it, but I think it was kind of like a kitchen sink realist drama that was quite popular. I think that that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And it was probably I about think that like- this is an adaptation. A, you like a middle class marriage falling apart or something like that, you know? That's like, exa- like far from heaven. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a revolutionary road type thing. Yeah. But uh, maybe uh, you know, sharks and his friends. I'm trying yeah. to think. What would I call it? I was. I just felt like there was something with the name of the sharks that felt right. Where I was like, I should call it like Mako or Gen Two or yeah something. Do do eight thousand pound. Mako Shark's dream of electric fences or something like that? <laughs> it's not a real question. Wave- I just wanted this movie to be called something else. Wave Runner. Wave yeah. Runner. That's pretty good. Yep. 
Wave Runner 2049 for the dystopian. Oh or really, honestly, the movie should just be called Preacher. This movie, Preacher. it's his movie. It's yeah. his it movie. is. And let's just go back a second, because I feel like we kind of haven't discussed LL Cool J's success in this, because he really is the star and he really does shine. And I just do, I am more endeared to him at the end of this movie than I am at the beginning. I love his stupid bird. Mm-hmm. I love that it's the canary in the coal mine <laughs> in several scenes, right? And then he's like, whatever, foul mouth. Yep. And that he is like weirdly religious, but he's also a booze hound. Remember the scene where he like records for his daughters or whatever? And he's like, I have known the pulpit yeah. and the bottle. <laughs> it's like, okay, Elmer Gantry, yeah. calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, can I say, Ryan, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but I remarked on this, and I feel like we've talked about this before, but did you notice the distinct similarities between that scene where he's talking into the camcorder and the episode of 30 Rock where Alec Baldwin is like teaching all yes! the life lessons to his son? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, that's such a great no, but show, he's like though. The best he is. He's fantastic. Another, uh, he's- an, another awesome subversion where like, you think they're even with the like every time they give him like the beginnings of some pathos, he just like goes in a different direction. Like when he's giving that like I don't you you know what it's called that like Valley of the Shadow. Oh yeah, I, I believe something. it's I believe it's Isaiah or something where it's like Yea, sure. though I walk through the Valley of the Shadow of Death, I shall fear no evil for Thou art with me. And then he's like. Because I'm a, a bad big motherfucker. fucking stick and I care whatever. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm also Teddy Roosevelt. And fuck yeah, you. Like, like, yeah. Teddy Roosevelt yeah. reference in here. Oh, no. What? And yeah. then they're all just screaming, like blood curdling screams of amen <laughs> as the, like holding hands together as the water like rises above their sh- I just, I was like, what? That's like happening? literally the guy who did too many lines at the party who just wants to talk and talk. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The Valley of the Shadow, bad motherfucker. Like, I'm about to die too. Can I say something? <laughs> what the fuck? I'm the fucking scientist guy. This guy's the cook and he gets the last word. This is bullshit. <laughs> I have had that experience. I have, I have hung out with a dude on Kennedy. Oh, no. Who was, you know, telling me. In like the waning hours of the of the evening before the sun rose, how how the Lord, how God, how the the thing that we know as God, this eternal uh, consciousness, channels itself through him and into his hand every time he meets a canvas, and that he doesn't actually control the brush, that it's huh. just God's will. Wow, kind of means like, this makes me disoriented and horny, <laughs> <laughs> which is what it's supposed to do. But for this guy, it had a totally different effect. You had this conversation in a warehouse, didn't you? I totally had this conversation yeah. in a warehouse. You had it to yell at- it over four, four to the floor style music. If four to the floor style music, lot of lot of strobe lights, lots of like neon like leg warmers happening mm-hmm. everywhere. Oh my was- god, yeah. neon leg warmers! Yeah, totally. I've also had that conversation like actually once this week, but <laughs> <laughs> at least a dozen times this year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that he is the- legitimately the best part of this. Though. He is. And I think that the idea that maybe he was a little too fucked up, like on drugs to to follow the script would explain a lot <laughs> of why it's so successful and such a at the end of the day, right. a trash movie that is super fun to watch. Oh, it's such a blast. You were remarking on LL, you know, and, and specifically how he spends like three quarters of the movie 
by himself. And it's like, they have to give him a pet bird and they have to make him a God fearing man because otherwise he wouldn't be able to say anything. Like he has to be able to talk to the pet and he's got to be able to like talk to God every like five seconds and- in a kitchen. And nobody goes himself. to check on him at any point. <laughs> Nobody's ever yeah, no like, one- Hey, what about preach? Is he okay? No. You know, we're going to pass that way on our way to the, like the tank or whatever. Maybe we should go check on the cook. Like- <laughs> I actually felt like, I felt like a there was a lot of that throughout the movie where like anytime like a you know if they were sort of separated from each other or a person you know went and did a thing like no one was I don't know it just their their emotions and like the tone of this thing turned on a dime like Michael Rappaport was like freaking out one moment and then he was like being sweet with LL and like will you zip me up please and then they're like joke like there's there's a lot of like yeah after he's so in shock he can't stand. Yeah, where yeah. He's right, like, or whatever. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm actually, I'm actually chill. This is cool. Uh, now let's have yeah. a weird, like, uh, like kind of fake gay moment, like some bad, like, high school theater kind of like uh, gay baiting, you know? Like, oh, is it me? Yes. <laughs> Which goes back to your earlier point. All, all over the over map. And the I, map. no. And like, I didn't, like, Saffron. Wait, so is Saffron her real name her or name is that is, her character's name? No, Saffron Burroughs is the actress's name. Her her character's name is fuck. I don't even remember. It's like Doctor. I don't. I don't know anyone's name in this movie. No, I, I can't remember many of them either. But at one point, like, because her name is like Lucille, and they call her like Doctor Lucy or something. And I know that that's wrong. Oh, it's Susan. It's Susan, Susan McAllister. I just looked McAllister. it up. McAllister. Susan McAllister. Oh, okay. Yes, and they call her Doctor Susie at one point. The other, the other woman, the Jacqueline McKenzie's character, okay. who is who is just Veronica Cartwright in Alien, by the way. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely, one to one. I actually liked that character a little bit, the blonde lady. Uh, anyways, the Saffron. What was her name? Saffron Burroughs. No, we just said uh, it. I already forgot again. Susan, Dr. McCall- Susan McAllister. Dr. Susan McAllister. Make sure we keep the doctor there. Titles the doctor. are important. Uh, she. Um, I mean. Not a great actress, yes, but also I just felt like there were so many times in the movie where she didn't, like, have responses to things. Where, like, no. she was just, like, this dead, dead-eyed, dead like, the the shark was coming up through the ground or the water and she's, you know, it's been tranked but not tranked enough and it, like whips its head and she's standing right next to its fucking mouth and she just kind of like looks at thomas jane's character and goes "Hmm." and i was like what is wrong with you why are you catatonic she was catatonic for most of the movie and i didn't know like what they they make her this sort of like you know determined scientist who is like wants to do the thing that she wants to do no matter what it takes her but she doesn't have that energy she doesn't have like big dick energy for any of that and it was just like compared to jurassic park right Right. like that kind of like science versus practicality right bioethics like a sort of subtext yes yeah you get it yeah (laughs) i hope so (laughs) just juxtapose the scene of Saffron Burroughs talking with Thomas Jane in any part of this movie with Laura Dern telling uh, David, David, Richard Attenborough that uh, 
his hubris will get the best of him and he's gone too yeah. far and you haven't had enough respect for this power while they're eating ice cream. And, and the distinction and quality of the films becomes immediately clear. Mm-hmm. Also, Thomas Jane's character did not grow up in the ghetto. So for him to <laughs> retort at the end and say, me too, when LL Cool J's character says, take me back to the ghetto, and Thomas Jane's character says, oh, me too, or whatever he says. I was just like, no, no. Yeah. The I, I, end. The end. <laughs> Deepest, bluest. I'm going, going, back. Back. <laughs> I, I think though the the distinction there is that at the end of the film, Thomas Jane is saying hashtag Me Too, mm. and he is <laughs> reckoning with the trauma and the violence imposed on the female characters. Yes. Well, it's the two. It's the two thugs that are left alive at the move at the end of the movie, right? LL Cool J and Thomas Jane's character, who's he's a shark ringer. He well, he he's a, a former. Ringer. He's a former. Felon. Smuggler, uh, right? He yeah. was like a smuggler. Like that's his, I love the exposition in like the first 20 minutes yes. of this. See, like you learn more about these characters than any other characters in any other movie you've ever seen. He did and he did two years. Like Sam Jackson is very clear that it's like, oh, you only did two years in like a like medium security penitentiary for smuggling. And he's like, Yeah. And he's like, uh, okay. And that's like the end of the conversation. Like I don't understand why they gave him that backstory. I think it was honestly so that he could say me too at the end of the movie when LL Cool J's character says, take me back to the ghetto. Probably. But also they make a, a point of there being conflict between him and Saffron Burroughs' character because he believes that he's been used by her mm-hmm. and and is complicit in her tampering and tinkering and breaking of all of these laws simply because he would keep his mouth shut because he had something to lose he doesn't want to recidivate and he's a bit of a he's a bit of a hooker with a heart of gold yeah that's what he is he's the hooker <laughs> with the heart of gold you know he's, whoever's paying i'm i'm there he's the pretty he's the pretty woman yeah. uh, <laughs> what is the verb for for recidivism i think it's recidivate recidivate recid re- recede no, because that's a different word. That has a different meaning. Yeah, but it's similar. It's similar. <laughs> but they're similar. It's, uh, Ryan's it's poking holes in my argument. <laughs> is what we'll. I I'm, like, I like I'm rec- saying recidivate. It's percussive. I, I like it. Recidivitation. Recidivate. I like it. I'm here for it. Oh my God. Say what you will about Deep Blue Sea, but it engenders community. Okay. <laughs> it absolutely does. That's the only thing that this movie really has going for it. I mean, yes, it's like it's charming in some ways and a fun watch, but it builds community. It it demands solidarity of its viewers in a way that so few products today do. And it's it's the thing that I think will be key to some sort of collective uh, you know, mass action and movement. Yes. Bernie Sanders, LL Cool J, 2024. You heard it here first, folks. We're going to have them both on the pod. It's going to be great. He's doing the campaign tune. Uh, Don't call it a comeback. (laughs) I think that that is a great place to close out this week. I'm I'm embarrassed by how good that was. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like painfully embarrassed by how good that was. That was that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna wake up in the middle of the night with a hot, just like 
in a cold sweat, just like you like. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. Of course, man. Ryan Cartwright is it is always a pleasure. We are going to have you on again soon because I think we've laughed harder and more on this episode than we ever have. have. Probably collectively over like our our entire uh past show. 11 months Our past <laughs> that's the most i've laughed in 11 months <laughs> yeah You're close to brother this is the most so it's it's such a joy um we have been hit factory as always you can follow us at hit factory pod on twitter uh if you're listening to this you were probably a subscriber on patreon um but who knows maybe i'll be generous and unlock this one so some some new people can listen whoops whoops uh <laughs> Reminder that we are donating all of our uh, February Patreon proceeds to the wonderful organization Hotels Not Hospitals. If you have not already, uh, please go back and listen to our introduction with organizer and activist Edna Kozakaro from that group. They're awesome. We want to give them lots of money. Shout out to our capitalist overlord, Linda, and we will be back soon. Ryan, thank you again. Thank you.